Hello and welcome to the Infinite Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Willis. In my role as a coach, I aim to inspire people to believe that the sky is the limit. In this podcast, I will provide information on mindset, fitness and nutrition with amazing guests as we look to unlock your own infinite potential. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Infinite Potential podcast. This is episode 50 and what a special guest I have got lined up for for episode 50. You are in for an absolute treat today. I have no doubt in my mind that this lady, this author, this incredible, incredible person who's been on an incredible journey herself is going to give you so many knowledge bombs to take away and so many life lessons. So it gives me Great pleasure to welcome Laura Bird. Birdie, how are you? What an intro. Come <laughs> on, look at that. I'm, I'm so good, mate. And what a, what a lovely intro. I feel like a, a big old stage has been set now. Here we go. Lovely, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real, real pleasure. We go a lot. We go a long way back. We do. <laughs> we, we go do. a long way back. We do, indeed. <laughs> Which is why it's almost weird for me to say, kind of like, obviously, give give the listeners a bit of an intro to you because we you know we could kind of dive back 20 years so to speak but (laughs) for those that have never heard of the name Laura Bird who maybe haven't watched a particularly a particular tv program that you maybe were on a few years ago or heard about 10 in 10 or have any clue what any of that is about who are you and what are you about so I am Laura Bird. I'm currently working as a mental health coach. I've been quite busy over the past few years doing a few bits and bobs. Um, I have literally just released a book um, called 10, 10, 10, my 10 year journey from suicide attempt to ultramarathon runner brought in the frame there perfectly. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, a recent, recent author. Uh, the, the book is essentially a big old 10-year autobiographical account around my little adventures being on SAS Who Dares Wins back in 2019, um, the charity challenge that I took on last year of running 10 marathons in 10 days uh, in 10 different places across the UK, and that was for East Anglian Air Ambulance, which is a charity incredibly close to my heart because they um, saved my life, which is no exaggeration. They saved my life 10 years ago, but I'm sure we'll go on to that. And uh, yeah, so I'm an ultramarathon runner. Uh, we literally just said before we started the podcast, I can talk mental health, running, sport, exercise for England. So we'll have to tailor it in a little bit but um yeah that's me in a nutshell and I I know Beth because we used to play football together when we were younger and uh, we have gone on quite similar journeys in in the in the respect of of work and our passions and and what we do so yeah really lovely to have a have a good old chat I certainly um as you alluded to there Laura I I genuinely think there's going to be multiple parts to this podcast um and that really, really excites me. And I actually, you know, I don't think there's there's a real, there's a limit to kind of the life lessons that we can dip into here. And and again, that that really excites me. And I kind of want to, want to strip it back a bit. Um, and I do want to go, go straight in with what, what will be a difficult topic, a topic that you've written about in your book, a topic that you have been at the forefront of speaking about, which is with mental health but also your own your own battle with your own mental health and what ultimately led to your attempted suicide. And I kind of want, 
if you're happy to, I just want you to kind of talk people through how you found yourself a bit in that situation, but also once we've gone through that, we'll, we'll talk about the full circle and kind of where you feel like you're at now. Mm. Mm, that sounds like a great plan. So, um, yeah, my, I mean, my mental health journey, as much as many people nowadays, sort of started in my teenage years in having a, you know, a bit of a difficult childhood, uh, quite sort of um, uh, dis- dispatched, un- unsupportive parenting, um, and just a-, a lot of different struggles throughout my teenage years. Being a teenager is is brilliant in one way, but it's incredibly hard in another, isn't it, because of the expectations on you and, and the different things going on in life. So being a teenager is an incredibly difficult thing without the addition of um, worrying and dealing with your sexuality. That was another huge thing for me in my teenage years. Um, uh, and I, I lost a close friend in my teenage years as well. We, we played football together. Um, and there were lots of little different elements within um, my adolescence that were, were not dealt with properly, were not addressed were uh, stereotypically shoved under the carpet to, to not address properly. Uh, and they built and they built and they built. And I think that was probably an element of my personality in that um, I was very much class clown. I was very much <laughs> joker in it, very much cover everything up with a smile and a joke and make everyone else laugh, which is, is an element of my personality. And I, I'm an advocate for that as well, because humour is sometimes a really good really good tool to use in the correct correct capacity but yeah my, my teenage years were just full of adversity and um, loneliness I suppose and isolation and um, I had some incredible parts of my teenage years I played football at a high level I adored sport I, I loved school I was the biggest geek going no wonder I've written a book I was mm-hmm. such a nerd at school I loved school um, and yeah so I had some really good things going for my teenage years but Ultimately, they're just built and built and built. And I have, I think I have the personality where if I've decided I'm going to do something, be it to my advantage or my detriment, I'm going to do it. And I think I probably made a decision from the age of about 16. um, And looking back now, when you're a bit old, you think, crikey, 16, you're a kid, you're you're still a kid, um, that I I, I wanted to take my own life Mm -hmm. from about 16. Because I couldn't see a way of dealing with everything that I had going on um, comfortably and, and having a future with it as well. I had no idea how to deal with the fact I was gay. I had no idea how to deal with the fact that I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think anything I did was good enough. We could play a football match, win 5-0. I could make 20 yeah. saves in the game and it still was never good enough. There was always something niggling away that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, you're not worthwhile. You know, what, what is the point of you being here? What, you can go and play for England, but it, it, why, why are you here? Why are you necessary? That was the constant battle of, of why are you necessary, um, which, yeah, manifested itself into this plan. And, I, and it was this, this plan that sort of grew and grew and grew because people talk about um, having suicidal thoughts and, and, and intrusive thoughts, um, but it was, it was, a, it was almost like a, a two-year project uh, yeah. of, of building this courage around something that, I just became obsessed with, which looking back now is a horrific thing to say that between the ages of 16 and 18, I became obsessed with the idea of taking my own life. Um, And not one person around me knew anything about it. Um, And it got to the point when I was 18. And by that point, people knew that I was probably struggling a little bit. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd confided in some close friends that 
I, I was having these thoughts. Um, and again, this is why it's so important that if a person is, is speaking that way to, to take them seriously, because mm-hmm. unless they've announced it, and again, you have to excuse me because I'm quite blase about the subject, but I'd, I'd like to think I'm justified in talking about it. You know, if someone sets their Facebook status to, oh, I'm going to kill myself, okay, that needs to be taken seriously, but genuine suicide would never want to be heard on such a vast level because yeah. it's embarrassing, it's undignified, it's desperate, and you would not ever want that much attention around such a delicate and intimate subject. Um, so I told a couple of really close friends but nobody else knew um, about this really intricate plan that I had made. And it was that intricate because it had been built up over two years um, to the point that on the Friday, the 12th of November, 2010, I knew that that was a date that I was, I was going to end my life. I was, I was going to kill myself. Um, but I went to school as normal. I did everything as normal because that was my plan. I didn't want to erase any attention. I didn't want to be off school sick. I didn't want anyone to know that there was something going on. Went to school, but was obviously, um, I think I just call it, uh, I think I refer to the book as just being a bit um, belligerent and warlike. Like, normally I would just be this outgoing, bubbly, laugh a minute. And on that Friday, I was just, um, excuse my language, I was just a shit. I was just horrible. I'm sorry, am I allowed to swear on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> I was just disgusting to everybody that came in contact with me because I was almost at this boiling point, this mm-hmm. absolute bubbling point now of I'm ready, I'm so ready to go, do not get in my way now. But this obviously created quite a lot of attention because I'm never aggressive, I'm never rude, um, but I was just aggressive and rude and angry all day long. Um, yeah, to the point where senior teachers were sort of saying, what? on earth is going on what what is happening um and I, I sat there in a room at the end of the school day and said I'm going to kill myself you know and obviously taken aback and what, what, what do you mean and then the plan came out I said I'm going to drive my car to a lay-by on the A14 dual carriageway and I'm going to walk out in front of a lorry in order to kill myself 18 years old at this point 18 years old in four days so when you're that specific around what you're going to do, I think a few of the teachers were like, okay. But being 18 and being in sixth form college, they, they couldn't stop me because you, you're deemed as an adult. Yeah. You're deemed as an adult then. Um, uh, so they had to let me go. So they had to let me go. And that was almost like, a, again, another like click moment because I hadn't, um, I hadn't allowed for that teacher awareness. I hadn't allowed for people to know about it. But I knew that they'd call the police straight away because you've got a vulnerable 18-year-old that's just told you they're going to throw themselves in front of a lorry. So there was now this element of cat and mouse of I know that I'm going to have people chase my tail, so I'm just going to I'm going to drive. So I got my little rusty KA, what everyone's first car is like, and bombed it again. How I didn't have a car accident on the way there because I was just being so totally reckless in the way I was driving, which is selfless in itself because other people could have got hurt by my yeah. actions but bombed it down the A14. And I had no plan to go any further than about 10 minutes from home. I was just going to jump on, on the way to Felixstowe, do it local. Um, but the truth was, I was I was terrified. I was totally, totally terrified. Um, so I just kept driving past, lay-by after lay-by. Is it going to be this one? Is it going to be this one? Um, until I eventually pulled over, still 
totally emotionally it's the the, the most bizarre emotional state i've ever been in because yeah. i was so focused but so desperate and so unhappy at the same time um and eventually chose a la- chose a lay-by had all my suicide letters out written on a, on the seat next to me um and i got out of my car with with the traffic streaming past me lorries vans cars streaming streaming past me and um I knew what I wanted to do. It was in my plan and I waited. I waited until I saw a lorry. As you imagine, it was pitch black. I waited until I saw a lorry with the lights coming towards me. I saw it and I stepped. Yeah. Right out in front of it because that was the plan. Um, And I remember nothing from that point onwards um, other than the fact that I was obviously admitted to Addenbrooke's. Well, I was airlifted to Addenbrooke's by the East Anglian Air Ambulance with... Uh, you know, very severe life-threatening injuries. And, um, yeah, booked myself in for a long stay in Adamworks. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I think it's, 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 we've never spoken about it in detail. Um, and mm. you won't know this. I remember hearing about it at university because I was in London at the time. There's two years between us. So I was already at mm. university at the time. And I remember being shocked and saddened um, because we had... You know, we both attended the funeral of somebody that you were very close to and the family that you're still very close to. And then it seemed like that was the next the next thing. And I couldn't I couldn't quite believe it. Um, and to, to hear you actually break it down and, and talk about it. Do do you think that there was there was a couple of points that day where where maybe you you were just hoping somebody would stop you? Or, or were you hellbent you were going to make it by, by driving that little bit longer, by, by taking the one minute it took to tell the couple of teachers or the teacher that you told that there would have been the series of events that since followed that was the air ambulance got to you in enough time. They got you to what is the most expert hospital within the east of England that you then got the best medical care available to anyone in locally. And that, albeit your injuries were life-threatening and, and life-changing and life-altering for, for, for a long time, even even now to this day, I'm sure, but that things almost still stacked up in, in the right way, if, if that's something I can say. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head because as much as a, um, it's, a real, it's a real oxymoron for me to say this, but doing what I did trying to kill myself in that way was the best and worst thing that I ever did. The best and the worst thing I ever did at exactly the same time, which is why it's so complex to try and process. But obviously it was the worst thing that I ever did because of the hurt that I caused a lot of people around me because of the concern and the worry, um, because of the physical state that I was in, uh, because of the precious resources that I used in the NHS, the many precious resources that I used from the NHS for the poor person that was driving the lorry. You know, there are so many horrific parts of it that make it the worst thing that I ever did, but the parts of it that make it the best thing that I ever did as well. Now, I'm absolutely not being an advocate for trying to kill yourself to, to you know, as one of the best things you can ever do, but the lessons that it taught the understanding that I got, the sheer disbelief and um, almost privilege of putting your body through so much trauma to then 
have the recovery process after it and your body's innate ability just to start recovering. It takes this a lot longer to recover, but we can learn a lot of lessons from our body. Our body gets a cut, a burn, a severe injury. It just goes, right, okay, let's start recovering. And it just starts innately recovering itself. And um, the complete renewed appreciation you have for absolutely everything in life after you've been through such a traumatic experience. I mean, the first few days in hospital, I can't even remember. I know I was in intensive care, had a lot of operations on uh, my leg, my hand, and a lot of other injuries. Um, But then the first couple of weeks in hospital, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't go to the toilet for myself. I couldn't dress. I couldn't walk. I couldn't breathe without being in pain because I broke ribs. And that is, if anyone's broken ribs, you know how painful that is. And each and every day, I just got this appreciation that to this day still, I I, I never take for granted walking to the toilet and being able to go to the toilet by myself. I don't take for granted being able to lift my hand. I had a lot of nerve damage on on my arms. I I couldn't lift my arms to wash my hair. Every time I'm in the shower, I don't take for granted the process of being able to wash my own hair. When you have been at such, such rock bottom, you have this unbelievable appreciation for the most simple things in life to the extent where I could spend the next 20 years sat in one place and I'd be happy because you know what I can still eat I can still enjoy my surroundings and just this yeah appreciation that you get from being in the worst possible place so would you say some of the the lessons and the experiences you've shared in in 10 10 and 10 and also what you're doing now with with Thrive and being and being a mental mental health coach is your would you say you're trying to help people reach that level of understanding without having to reach that level of depth of pain? Would you say that's kind of yeah. where you feel your 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 purpose is now? Because, as you said, you don't you don't want you don't want someone to have to have experienced that that low that exact that being in that exact position that you've went through. But you can understand and and you know those that have listened to previous podcasts of mine will understand what I mean when I say when when you're at that point. You, you just want peace you, you want you want things to stop but I guess would you say part of your mission part of your mission part of what you feel you're here for now is to stop people from seeing that as the only way to get that peace yeah you've Beth honestly you've, you've summed that up so well because gen- genuine suicide and being at the point of genuinely wanting to take your life there is in my opinion there is nothing worse you can possibly experience mm-hmm. But on the other side of that, there's nothing better that you can possibly experience than coming out of um, trauma like that and learning from it. So, yeah, absolutely. My my mission now in, in every single thing that I want to do is that I'm in quite a unique position because there are g- g- generally, unfortunately, if someone tries to take their life in a quite graphic way, they don't come out of the other side of it. Whereas... I've tried to take my life in an incredibly graphic way and come out of the other side of it. And, and I'm so, so passionate about talking about it and so, so passionate about helping people to manage their thinking. And, and that sounds insulting to say, all you've got to do is manage your thinking better. But that is as simple as it is. And if I, from the age of 16, would have started to manage my thinking a bit better... I'm quite sure I would have still gone on to do the things that I wanted to do, but I wouldn't have had the experience to back me up and, and the experience where 
every single person in the world has had it where even if you're having a really bad day, the experience to look back and be like, right, let's step back here. Let's get some perspective. Mm -hmm. Am I having a really bad day? Because I'm quite sure that 10 years ago, your bad day was because you couldn't eat pee or dress yourself. So is your bad day a bad day now? Or do you just need to manage your thinking a bit better? And yeah, I'm, I'm so passionate about that because it's so easy to listen to people who are who are quite rightly qualified or have got knowledge around a subject but it's far easier to speak to someone who goes I know how you're feeling they don't you don't know how I'm feeling I do know how you're feeling because this is where I've been and it's a lot easier for people to relate to that um, when they are on the brink of suicide for someone to say okay whether I can impact you or not you've made a decision and whether you follow through on that decision or not is, is your responsibility, um, which is another huge thing around suicide, is, is the people that it leaves behind, but mm. understanding that that person is still responsible for that decision. They may have had factors, but they're still responsible. And being able to have a person that says, yeah, I, I do know how you're feeling, and actually I can teach you and I can educate you on, on how to be better, which is exactly what you do in your role when someone has reached a point of being overweight, being unhappy, or um, being really struggling to reach a certain goal in life, physically and psychologically, you coach them, you, you, you give them running plans, you give them nutrition plans, you teach them how to reach a place in their life. Well, what better education is there than learning and knowing how to be the best possible version of yourself you can be? That's the best job in the world. <laughs> well, yeah, and and kind of before, before we, we started recording the podcast, we spoke about the fact that... Um, or we touched on it at the start of the podcast that you'd been on SES Who Dares Wins. Um, your previous role before before Thrive was was a police officer, and actually, um, as I said before we started the podcast, we spoke about how you felt in that role you were putting on plasters, but now you you kind of feel like you're there and and you're really able to help. If if somebody's struggling that that listens to this podcast, perhaps with. Um, you know certain thoughts thoughts that just aren't supportive conducive of of creating a more positive environment for themselves where where would you start in kind of getting them to break things down from from obviously your current experience now and what you do as a as a mental mm-hmm. health coach how would you approach that with people i think the first and the biggest step that people have to take and people have to realize is responsibility uh, and and responsibility and understanding that the world does not happen to us, okay? Things do not happen to us. We create our emotions. The reason that I was in the place that I was was my responsibility. If you break your leg, it might not be your fault, but immediately you take responsibility and you go to the hospital and you get yourself sorted. Now, physical provisions and mental health provisions within the NHS are different and it's not my place to comment on that. However... The principle is the same. When you have a physical injury, you take responsibility and go and get it sorted out because you know if you leave a broken leg, it's going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where it's either going to get amputated or you could potentially lose your life depending on how severe your break is. So you take responsibility for your physical health. So you need to take responsibility for your mental health. And take responsibility doesn't necessarily mean going to your GP and getting some pills, which some people will do. Take responsibility means, right, if I go and take some pills, I've totally taken away any power from myself to deal with that. Because if I start getting better, it's going to be the pills, potentially, that have done that. If I take some personal responsibility 
and educate myself. I won't, I won't need medical intervention. I won't need any sort of um, pills or a prescription. You have to take responsibility, which is the hardest thing in the world because it's essentially admitting that I'm being miserable, I'm being sad, I'm not dealing with life properly. Oh, and it's my responsibility. But that is, that's where when people say it's okay not to be okay, I understand that saying, but it needs to be extended a little bit. It is okay not to be okay, but you've got to do something about it. Yeah. And and this is where I probably come across as ruthless, but I'm not. It's 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 do or die in the most in the biggest essence of the word, it is do or die. This is your life, this is your mental health, and this is your responsibility. No one's gonna wave a magic wand, no one's gonna say, Oh, here you go. Let's pat you on the back and make things better. Yeah, it's going to be really hard. Yeah, it's going to be really challenging sometimes. The fact that you've got to take on board that depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, chronic fatigue, all of these things are really, really difficult things to go through, but they are not innate. You, you don't have to live with them for the rest of your life. You can educate yourself to be better, which is going to be the hardest journey you'll ever go on but the most rewarding. So my advice would be stop relying on other people, which is a really easy thing to do, and start taking responsibility for your own well-being because it will be the most empowering thing you, you will ever do. If there's a... As, as, as you're talking about kind of taking responsibility and, and, and that there, it, it really resonates with a, with a lot of what I say and a message that uh, anyone that obviously is a repeat listener of the podcast will have heard me say time and time and time again and it's if you can control it you can change it and if you can mm-hmm. change it you can improve it so what we oh, need to know awesome. is what's in your control so okay let's go, like if we go with a blanket kind of example of the weather we have no control over the weather whatsoever so how can we go about changing and thus improving the situation around the weather? Well, we can decide what we wear. We can decide how prepped we want to be. We can also decide if we want to spend our time moaning about it and thus it then potentially having a knock-on effect to our mood and those around us because all we've done is moan that it's miserable and grey all day. Um, but, you know, the weather is something that all, all we can do is control how we react to it and prepare for it. But then there's elements of... Your men- yeah, your mental health, your physical health, your finances, general happiness in life, your relationship, your children. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. We can list every part of life. What have you got control over within that? Okay, now you know what's in your control, which is a hell of a lot more than you realise. A hell of a lot more. How can we go about changing it, affecting it positively, in order to improve whatever outcome it is that we're looking to get from that situation? Whether it's a better relationship with your partner... A better, a better relationship with your own mental health, a better understanding of your own mental health, or, you know, better physical health. And it, it's just, it boils down to really actually fundamentally understanding what is in our control. Yeah. And, and then yeah. really backing yourself to take some ownership over it. And, and I think yeah. responsibility and ownership and words like that, they do get thrown around a lot, but actually... It, it's not easy to take those things. It's not easy to put them onto your shoulders. But if you can start rolling with it and you kind of stack a few wins, for me, it's liberating because actually you start yeah. realising how much else of your life you've got control over changing and thus potentially improving. 
Yeah, you're, you're, uh, so much of what you're saying there again is, yeah, in, in Thrive, it talks so much about sort of internality and externality and, and the things that are external to you or the things that are internal to you. And, and ultimately, um, it's that there's a saying and it's just they can never take your mind. No matter what is going on, this is totally in your control. Um, but p- people don't think it is. You know, if you you are responsible for your successes and your failures, you are responsible for everything that goes on around. And, and as you say, there are things that will happen in the past 12 to 18 months will be testament to the fact that really, really difficult and challenging things will happen in life over and over again people will let you down over and over again it will be cold and dark and raining over and over again but that 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 is life that is what happens and your choice your reaction to it is yours and yours alone which is why when people go through horrific things the same people we're all human beings take different paths some people experience the most, I don't know, for example, some people might experience the most horrific childhood. They may be abused, they may lose a parent, they may just experience something horrific in childhood, which would drive some people to a life of drink and drugs because that's their choice, that's their external choice to not face up to their emotions and just uh, take comfort in, in drugs or drink. Or another person may deal with exactly the same scenario and use it to their advantage and go down the path of, right, okay, this has happened. Um, it's in the past and I'm going to use it totally to my advantage you know you you could put which is why these studies like I won't go too psychological and too anything like that but these studies that are documentaries on Netflix where you know you you have twins or people that are born exactly the same person and go down different routes and different scenarios and their nature nurture there's a a huge debate which is a whole nother podcast in Mm. itself but yeah essentially you can go through a horrific experience and still choose how you want to deal with it there's i'm as you're talking i'm i'm nodding and nodding away and i'm also trying to think of not butchering this quote and i want to say it's something like life is five percent what happens to you and 95 percent how you react to it or something yeah. like that and that is that Absolutely. Isn't it? it's the same the same the same thing happening to two people one pivots left the other pivots right where do those paths go but it's also it's also for me is knowing that at any one point either one of those people on that path can stop and pick to either turn back left or turn back right yes back yes, towards yes. back towards yes. a journey and a life that that maybe actually suits them better and that, that you know they live for me I always repeat fitter happier healthier stronger like yeah you, there's always yeah. a path yeah and and it's almost like for me, it's, it's as though mental health has almost become fashionable. It's become so fashionable and so accessible that it's become an excuse for people. And that's so frustrating because uh, I've got anxiety, I can't do that. When you medicalise things and you label things, and there are people that suffer hugely with anxiety and depression and suffer hugely with their mental health and are trying so hard to deal with it, but because mental health has become so fashionable and so accessible to people with all due respect 60 years ago anxiety and depression didn't didn't really exist and the fact nowadays that we've got facility and education around it is brilliant it's brilliant because i'm sure there are hundreds and thousands of people that have suffered hugely 
with their mental health that, you know, it's the whole stiff upper lip thing, isn't it? It's yeah. to keep calm and carry on. Yeah, do keep calm and carry on, but also have a discussion around what you're dealing with. Um, and this accessibility to mental health is a double-edged sword because it's so brilliant to educate the people that want the education and are going to work hard at it. But it's such a disadvantage to also be so accessible that it becomes an excuse for people um, who then you need to tiptoe around because they're so stuck on this buzzword of I've got, I've got depression and anxiety, I couldn't possibly do that. They get stuck in this accessible world where they can be or do what they want to be without proper education around what it is they're saying. So, yeah, double-edged sword, definitely. I think we, you'd probably say the same for social media. It, it's brilliant for heightening access to everything and everyone like anyone and everyone that's between the age of probably i'm even probably being a little bit careful when i say this age because it's probably even younger now but i I, for me i didn't even have a mobile phone till i was 12 but but it's it's probably younger than that let's be honest so if we go with like from anyone and everyone from the age of probably 10 and i'm probably getting that a bit wrong it's probably younger now but i'm gonna go with 10 up to say 40-ish now because most of those people will will revolve within social media in one way or another instantly accessible and it's instant access to anyone and everyone and to everything and you you know you create a hashtag and it builds up ahead of steam and you know it's never been easier to create a following for something that means so much like for example your incredible work with your ultra marathons it's never been easier to create you know, an environment around it, a mutual friend of ours, Ben, who did his 31 in 31 through through um, December. You know, social media built up such a storm for that. It's amazing. Loads more money than was ever planned was raised. Mm. But then it, it's that double-edged sword of actually then, you know, how detrimental is people not being able to switch, up, switch off from their inboxes, not being able yeah. to step off social media, but also seeing how accessible like you said mental health has become and and perhaps choosing the slightly you know what we could call the easier way out in terms of using it as an excuse rather than looking at it as a way of them improving their life if that makes sense mm-hmm. and yeah you again you've you've summed it up so well social media is just um again a, a, it's almost and i don't want to use this phrase but it is it's, it's an, a, an attention seeking tool sometimes um and, and don't get me wrong if the occasion is positive i love being a center of attention like i said i love being the, the class clown and, and having mm. you know the, the the attention around something positive but it can also generate attention around something negative and that that's very dangerous if you use it in that capacity but Again, the, the personal responsibility thing, if you know that social media is something that is 99% negative in your life because you use it for comparison, you use it because you're trying to get that external validation of, oh, if I get 55 likes on my photo, that, that makes me feel good, get rid of it. Yeah. Get rid of all your social media and start working on you. You don't need likes to feel good about yourself. Totally external. If you know and understand that that is a negative influence on your life, get rid but again, that's that's a huge thing because people fear that they miss out if they get rid of, you know, how on earth they're going to supposed to know what happened on the one show last night if they don't have social media. <laughs> but but is, is that, you know, if I'd have said to you, you know, twin, in our teenage years, because it wasn't, I mean, it was probably just building up in mine, you know, like I remember a bit of MySpace and Bebo, but like it never, it hadn't really fully took hold like it has now. So if we put ourselves 
in kind of the 13 year old shoes of today it the only way that they are, that will for a lot of them the only way that they feel positive about themselves is that photo got 98 likes and so and so commented five times and it's yeah. you know if, if you'd have thrown that back to, I'd, we we you know we were knocking on people's doors asking if they still wanted to come out and play yeah. and you know playing playing with jumpers for goalposts and, and no phone in sight for Absolutely. three hours after school yeah and I, it's it's really sad to think of you know young kids nowadays that are just just like this because like you say, I'm, I'm so grateful of the fact that we just we were the generation that just you know sort of just missed it in that we were probably like you say 13 14 15 before it was like oh what's this facebook thing but we were still we had the freedom and the innocence of, of childhood which it should be about which is which has been lost in a way uh which, yeah it's really sad because up to the age of 13 at the very least you should still be running around eating mud and, and eating worms and and not worrying about having to take a selfie about the fact that you've just you know tagged wally the worm on you've got an instagram instagram page for him you know it should be that innocence that i think is lost uh nowadays which yeah is, is really sad really sad i think that was obviously a slight tangent there but we we do both certainly agree on it and and one thing that i was kind of working my way round towards was your 10 10 in 10 and just the the story behind it, the plan behind it, what had to change in order to make it happen, a bit of your training, but also like your your real kind of deep rooted why, and and let let's hear a bit about that because what a what a story and what an achievement it was. You will have to excuse me when I talk about ten 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 because I'm like an excited child because <laughs> I feel as though it's like it's like my baby. <laughs> go for it. Go for oh. it. 10, 10, 10, well, it was without doubt the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and it was it was all born out of um, it being 2020, it being 10 years from my suicide attempt and saying, do you know what, I want to do something big. It was it was just after SAS. I'd, I'd been on this sort of, you know, done an Ironman, done SAS. What am I going to do now? What I'm, I'm getting this buzz of doing these really difficult but unbelievably inspiring and empowering things. And so I said, right, I'm, I'm going to run London Marathon for the East Anglian Air Ambulance. I thought, oh, oh hang on. I've, I've, already, I've already sort of run a marathon and, and these guys saved my life. They saved my life. One, one marathon is not enough for them. So I'm going to do 10. I struggle to count past 10, so I'll have to cap it at 10. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cap it at 10. And I got in contact with them because they do like, a, obviously, a ballot place for London Marathon. Mm. I got in contact and I said, look, here's my story um you guys saved my life this is what I'd like to do for you this is what I'm planning so obviously straight away they were more than on board and the, one of the most supportive charities as well they've been absolutely fantastic every step of the way so it was like right this this is like the this is it this is the conception of 10 10 10 and uh, we started planning the, the initial plan was to do nine back-to-back marathons in lots of different places around the UK that I love and that are great places to run around. And then the final one will be the London Marathon on, on day 10 in April 2020. Um, but obviously, it, you know, we don't need to go into the fact that coronavirus totally copped up all of those plans, which was a, a huge challenge in itself, because as you can imagine, just the not only the training, the physical training, but it was like a part-time job. 10, 10, 10 was like 
a brilliant but time-consuming part-time job where I was sending out emails to companies for sponsorships, for advertising, for marketing, um, dealing back and forth with the charity. And again, we spoke about Ben. His, his is obviously triple what I did, but he actually had a separate team of people to do that, which in hindsight was exactly what I should have done because I took on the role of promoting advertising. You know, I'd get back from work, do two hours of emails back and forth to... Even if someone was offering like a free shoelace for my trainer, I was like, yep, great, love your support. Eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, oh, crikey, I've got to run 15 miles. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it was just very, very time-consuming, but absolutely brilliant. So everything all changed in April when we were supposed to do it. Um, but then we went through a difficult couple of months like everybody did and, and still ran. And I talk about it in the book. I was really – I was proud of running as a, as a physical entity because – Everyone started doing it because it was like, oh, there's nothing else we could do. Let's go out and run. And it was a lovely, lovely time to see so many people who would have never run or even gone out for a walk, actually, in their normal day-to-day routine. But because there was nothing else to do and there's only so much loose women you can watch on a day-to-day basis, they just were out. And it was a brilliant time to see people do that. Um, But, yeah, so... Back in then, June, it got to the end of sort of May, June time, and things had calmed down. And I've obviously, again, been writing out emails to, to get advice and then medical advice from people. Is it safe to do? And it was, yeah, let's, let's go for it again on, on June the 12th. So we started on June the 12th in Ipswich for marathon number one. We went Ipswich, Bar Hill, Holywell, Felixstowe, Cambridge, Brighton, guided bus in Cambridge, Thetford Forest, Grafton Water, and then finished in St Ives, which is where I am now. Ten marathons, back to back. And you know, the best thing about, one of the best things about 10, 10, 10 is when you speak to someone who has really kindly donated to you or supported you in some way, and you're explaining it to them, and you say, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing 10 marathons. Oh, oh a marathon, right? Oh, is that London marathon? No, no, no. I'm doing 10 marathons in 10 different places for charity. Right, right. And how far are they then? (laughs) (laughs) They're a a marathon. They're 26.2 miles. So, yeah, and just this community of people that we created, this following of people that I said, we, we managed to facilitate people running, walking, cycling, coming out, you know, after a real, real difficult time, and then we didn't know what was to come in terms of the mm-hmm. pandemic, but at such a difficult time for people, we were just like a little positivity party, rocking up in places, right, keep your distance, but if you want to come and run one mile, if you want to run 10 miles, if you just want to throw Jaffa cakes at us, that's absolutely fine. Come and join in, come and get involved. And it, it was just, yeah, I think, like I said, I refer to it as a baby because I always say, I've not got children, but they always say that you sort of forget the labour when you have this beautiful little bundle of joy sat in your arms. I forgot the fact that I was falling out of my arse most days. My legs were on fire. I didn't even know what the day was half the time. Yeah. So the fact that I'd have complete strangers be cycling next to me and be like, hey, here, I made it to 10 after your donation pot. Well done for everything you're doing. Or kids, I remember at Phoenix Day, we were running up and down the promenade, three miles each way, back and forth, back and forth all day long. And little kids that wanted to come and donate their pocket money because it was a positive cause. And you just think, oh, I've got nothing to complain about. I've got a blister the size of my head on the bottom of my foot. I'll just, I'll just crack on because the positivity it created. And it was just, it was just so brilliant. And, you know, I, I, I'm the biggest advocate for running. And yes, it was a running challenge, but it was so much more than that in what the community that we created and 
and the legacy. I always want to say, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run 10 marathons. I'm going to write a book about it. So I want to leave a legacy. Um, and yeah, I'd honestly, I could talk till midnight, but it, it was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant 10 days. And I think um, that, you know, from, from where we kind of started talking on the podcast around kind of where you were at when you were 18 to then where you were there, like, you know, 10 years on running 10 marathons in 10 days. Like if you could, if you could say anything to 18 year old Laura at the end of that <laughs> event, like, what would you say? Gosh, what a great question. Um, I think now that you've got, you know, you've got hindsight here, you can look back, you've achieved yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would yeah. you, oh, what would you go back and say to 18 year old Laura? Really, it's a real difficult one because I honestly, honestly wouldn't change anything about my past I, I wouldn't want to change anything so I wouldn't say to 18 year old Laura right you crack on and go and walk in front of the lorry because that's obviously not the, the, the best the best way of doing things but I would just say hang on in there mate because you are so capable you are so but I would say this to anyone not just me I say this to any 18 year old you are so capable you are so brilliant you are so unbelievably incredible that if you only saw half of what everyone else in the world sees in you, then you'd actually see how brilliant you truly are. You, you, have to, you have to be kind to yourself. I always say to people, talk to yourself and treat yourself as you would your very, very best friend. You know, you would never say to your best friend, you're not good enough. You'd never say to your best friend, you can't do that. If your best friend turned around to you and said, I'm going to walk backwards in flip-flops to Mongolia, you'd say, brilliant. I'll go, to, I'll go to Primark and get you the best pair of flip-flops I can. You probably would go to Primark for your flip-flops, but yeah. I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> you, would, you, would, you would fill them with positivity. You would fill them with encouragement. And that, that's what I would do. I would fill that vulnerable, scared, very lost young person and say, you hang in there, you take responsibility, and you go and grab life by the balls because you were that close, that close to losing it. And life is this unbelievable brilliant thing that you have to go out and grab because it's over like that God. yeah and that's that, what i'm saying but that also, also don't go out drinking so much it's not good for you <laughs> <laughs> but that i mean that you know we instead of necessarily just targeting that back at, at like 18 year old self or, or any 18 year old in that can go to anyone listening anyone and everyone listening you know life is short there is mm. if you feel like you're in a tunnel there is light that you know but it's the you've got to take the responsibility to step to step mm. through that tunnel mm. to keep yeah, you know to keep that. going through that tunnel to take those steps forward yeah um yeah. and you know the other side of that is well is anything that you want it to be you know like, yeah it, it, it's it's so it's so precious it's it is so so precious and i'm i'm fortunate in a way that i've had the experience to understand how precious it is but I mean just to try and have some of that experience I, I've, I've said this before to people in that in in the depths of of real despair when I was sat in a hospital bed not being able to do anything for, for myself just just spend even five hours of your day spend five hours of your day without access to water without access to food without access to shelter without access to wi-fi without access to other people in your life and see how you get on and sit there, even if it's for an hour, not five hours, and sit there and think, crikey, I've got a, I've got a running water. I've got a beautiful 
town, city, wherever I live that I can go out in. I've got friends at the, at the, the, the minute I pick up my phone. I've got all of these things that actually, if you take them all away, you think, cracky, look, look at what I actually have got here. And I'm not saying that life's about Wi-Fi and food and drink, whatever. I'm saying that life is absolutely brilliant and it's absolutely awful. It goes from being horrific to brilliant. And then you have all these mundane little days in between where you get up, you go to work, you see your family, you do whatever, and you come home. And it's those little mundane days between the awful and the brilliant, those are the days that you can't take for granted. Because, yeah, everybody loves whatever your brilliant is, whether your brilliant is going on holiday, whether it's you're so passionate about your job, whether it's your children, whether it's your pet, whatever your brilliant is, go and do that and go and do it as much as you possibly can. But also... There's the little mundane, boring little days in between that might not be so brilliant, they might not be so awful, but it's those little days in between that will tick away. Those are the ones that you can't take for granted either because those are the most important ones actually in the grand scheme of things. And then I guess what we could say to kind of round that kind of spectrum off is no matter how awful those awful days are, if you can take a lesson from it, take a lesson from it. Because because you might then learn something that just makes the next time that awful day comes around, depending on what it is, you might have just learned even half of something that makes it slightly easier to deal with, um, yeah. or slightly easier to navigate through. And and we you know we don't necessarily need to give give the examples of the awful days. We're we're all we're all aware that you know we, we lose people throughout our lives and things like that. But if we can deal with them or learn lessons from them or just take positive memories with you whatever it is from that awful day then the less of them that we have that really knock us down the better and then you know as, as you said if you make the most of the mundane without kind of just passing that off as something that's easy to do but if you can make the most of those mundane days or create as many positive days as possible well surely that's kind of what i guess the kind of game and competition because we're both competitive that life's all about really is have that yeah. kind of self-competition with yourself. How good can you make it? Yeah, yeah, totally that. It's, it's, it, again, it's almost like sometimes you have a bad day and you don't want to deal with it properly and you just get to the end of it, write it off, right, let's start again tomorrow. But sometimes when you have that bad day, it's like, right, come on, what what, am I, what have you got? Come on then, come and give me what you've got and I will come and take it head on. And I might lose, I might fail, I might not be successful. You know, people are so scared of failure. People are so scared of doing something in case they fail or in case they get it wrong. Failure is a brilliant thing. Getting mm -hmm. stuff wrong is a brilliant thing. Doing something and doing it badly is a brilliant thing because it will teach you. If you went out and you were successful at every single job interview, you were successful in every single relationship, you're successful at every single sport or hobby you try, you'd be incredibly boring and you'd also just be incredibly vulnerable because you wouldn't know what it is to hurt. You wouldn't know what it is to fail or do things wrong. Christ, I have made mistake after mistake after mistake. I get things wrong all the time. I get things, you know, I do things badly. And they, they, it never scares me. It never scares me to be like, right, let's try this ridiculously audacious, probably quite arrogant challenge when I've only ever run one marathon before. Let's go and try it. If I fail miserably in a heap on day two and have to crawl for the next eight days, then so be it. But do you know what? There is nothing worse than, than avoiding something or not doing something because you're scared of failing at it. And you, 
that again, life is too short. If you think that you're not good enough for that job, if you think, if you see something that you want to go for, I'm not good enough for that, go to the interview, fail at the interview and get some feedback and then go back a year later and go and do it again. You know, we, we all think that everything has to be sorted out by tomorrow. We, we are on this planet as much as life is short. We're on this planet for a long time. Um, and not only do we have to make the most of every minute that we're on this planet, we've got a long time to fail and get better and make mistakes and go and do them again. You know, just it's OK to fail and people are scared of it. They really are. It's the it's the notion, it's, it's the quote of, of failing forward, isn't it? You've like, if you can learn from it, you, you fail forwards, you know, take, yeah. take a learning outcome, take an outcome from it, ask a question, yeah. but, but make sure that, that, you know, it's, it's a failure forwards. You, you come out of that with something in your back pocket, like you said, to arm you for that next interview or mm. to let you know that actually you can speak in public or whatever it might be, or to let you know that you can, can take on an event and, I laughed when you said about, you know, picking some kind of, you know, scary, audacious event and things like that. I'm I'm on the edge of announcing mine. I've kind of drip fed bits, said bits. And, you know, a lot of people do now know that I am going to run 100 miles in a weekend. Um, and, you know, it it's that thing of for me, I just, you know, I'm, I'm doing it for the Royal British Legion, which is a which is a charity that I often quote in in saving my own life. And it's. I don't know if I can run 100 miles in 48 hours, you know, and, you know, I speak to Ben, who was on this podcast, um, and he, when he turned around and said, I'd rather run 100 miles straight through than split it at 50 and repeat 50 on day two, he was like, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. And this is someone that did 31 in 31. And I'm like, well, that means I've got to do it that way then, doesn't it? Because <laughs> that's the harder way. So we'll, so we'll try it like that. And then, you know, it it's... I'm going into this thing just as you went into 10, 10 and 10, which blows my mind. Not quite 100% certain if I can do it, but I'm damn sure going to try. And Mm -hmm. I'm also damn sure going to try and prep and prepare and train and take the responsibility over my recovery, my food, my processes, my plan. And I'm going to do all of that as well as I can. And you know what? If I still come short, I'm going to come short by crawling myself over a finish line. Because yeah. that's that that's the kind of mindset that sometimes you've just got to go into things with. And I think that mindset can go across everything in life. You can put the 10, 10 and 10 into anything. Mm-hmm. You can look at it objectively. How can I train? How can I prepare? Who can I get on board? Who can I share it with? How good can I make the experience? And you can go and do it in anything. Yeah. And, and we rely far too much on this, you know, physicality. And I know a lot of people talk about, oh, it's, it's all psychological, but that, that can't be emphasised enough in in anything, whether it's physical, whether it's, you know, I've never written a book before I wrote this one. It's like, you know, you are so capable if you understand that you are and this, you are inevitably going to come across pain and discomfort with with uh, running 100 miles, which is just incredible. And we are far too concerned with avoiding discomfort in this life. We are far too concerned with telling our kids, oh, be careful, oh, don't do that. But actually, if we embrace that discomfort, tolerate it, and understand that actually, if we change again our thinking around, yeah, do you know what, I'm really uncomfortable in this moment, but can I keep putting one foot in front of the other? Yes, I can, and I damn well will because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing, your, your body, 
really your mind is limitless and, and your body is limitless, you know, and I, I take inspiration from people like Ben Blows, but there's a guy as well, Nick Butter, he ran a marathon in every single country in the world um, over a space of two years. Uh, again, another inspirational person. You, you you look around. If you look around you and you surround yourself with these positive people, and you have an understanding that, that we are limitless. We we are limitless. Ten years ago, if you said to someone, um, a guy called Eliud Kipchoge is going to run a sub two hour marathon in two thousand twenty, nah, that'd be so ridiculous. That's not done. Yes, it is. You know, there's these trailblazers that just push, that keep pushing their little limits because that's what makes them feel alive. You know, that that push, that little boundary push of right, let's push it a little bit more that makes you feel so alive. You know, this this here and now, right? What is the date? Eighteenth of eighteenth of May, twenty twenty one. In ten years' time, someone will break the one forty five marathon barrier. There you go. I've said it. <laughs> oh. Here on I've the podcast it. first. Look at that. I've said it. Look at that. Because I'm... people progress. People want to keep pushing boundaries. People will see Kipchoge and he will see, you know, that time will keep getting chipped away. And I know I'm being biased because we're talking about running here, but it's the same with anything. People will keep pushing those boundaries and those world records, mm-hmm. those incredible feats of human endurance that we all think are impossible, they're not. Because you'll get those people, like me and you, that just want to eke that sponge of life. They just want to keep squeezing and squeezing and get that last little bit out. There'll be people that do that forever. I love that. I absolutely love that. And that, to be fair... Squeeze the sponge. Squeeze. The, well, I'm going to see what you say in a second, because we, we we're definitely going to have to do a part two, because we've not even touched on to, like, SAS Who Dares Wins, what you took from that. And I've got <laughs> to ask you I've got to ask you a few questions about Mr. Ant Middleton, and we've just probably got to record that, definitely. But that will, that will do for a part two. Um, but there is a question that I do want to ask you, and I've already said the quote once before, um, and it ties into, like kind of what what my brand is my message which is that infinite potential which you've you know you've just said limitless potential so you were singing on that same hymn sheet throughout the podcast and I touched on it earlier if you can control it you can change it and if you can change it you can improve it that is the message that I share with everyone that views my social media bits or that works with me directly if you were to kind of finish this podcast with kind of a couple of lines or an empowering thought or some kind of mantra that that sticks in your head what would that be and what can we leave the listeners with in terms of that there's there's a lot there's a lot the the last chapter of my book actually the 10th chapter of my book is sort of 10 10 life lessons that, that I've taken away so I'll take a couple from there this one isn't in it but I I really strongly live by it the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if you're lazy at putting your washing in the bin, if you leave it to the last minute before you walk out the door, before you go to work, whatever, that just has an impact on everything. Your attitude to one thing is your attitude to everything. You know, so your attitude to the thing you hate the most is the same as your attitude to the thing you love the most because you'll deal with it in in the same way. Um, So that's more of like a, a personal admin thing. But... I always say, if you've already seen the bottom, then there's nothing to fear. Everybody's got a bottom, not as in the physical sense. (laughs) Everyone has got a rock bottom where they've been, their own perception of rock bottom. And again, perception is an important thing. Some people's rock bottom may be 
that they lost someone really close to them. Someone's rock bottom may be they, they had a real serious illness, but everyone has got that rock bottom that will give them that perspective. And then actually, if I've been there, if I've been through that, then I can, I can take on anything. So every time you're apprehensive or you're lacking in confidence around taking on something new or dealing with something new, take yourself back to that rock bottom and understand that actually I've been there, so I, I don't need to be fearful of anything. I'm, I'm not scared of anything because I've already seen what very rock bottom is and nothing will ever be worse than that. So I'm you know, wow. not scared of anything. Wow. If you've already seen the bottom, there's nothing to fear. I love it. I love it. And all I kind of want to finish this past podcast with, and I think it's super important, is giving you kind of a couple of minutes to tell people, number one, where to find your book. Number two, like Thank social you. media and things like that. Um, I am going to take the links off you as well. So I'll put all the links into the show notes. Um, and obviously when, when we share the podcast and things like that, which will be um, later on this week. But where can people find the book? Where can people find you? Um, first of all, thank you so much. That's greatly appreciated because writing a book is a great experience, but it's a huge financial outlay. Um, and anyway, any, all the money, all the proceeds I'm making from the book is going to East Anglian Air Ambulance anyway. But the, yeah, the promotion, the advertising for it is great. So you can get 10-10-10, my 10-year journey from suicide attempts, ultramarathon runner um, on Amazon. So just type my name into Amazon and it will come up on there. Um, it's $12.99 uh, from Amazon. You can get it on some other distributors as well. So if you if you just Google it, there's other distributors that change their prices sometimes. Um, so yeah, get it on there. If you can get it and you enjoy it, uh, if you could leave me a review, that would be amazing. Um, I'm on Instagram, which is at birdie101010, um, and just Laura Bird on Facebook as well. Um, yeah, if you, as I say, if you also, as well, good point to make, if you are a charity or if you are a teacher um, or if you're just someone that's really, really financially struggling, I donate a couple of books a month to charities, schools, anything like that so please 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 get in contact if you would like um a copy um and yeah i'll be more than happy to dish them out brilliant mate i'll make sure that all the all the direct links literally i'll put the amazon link and everything straight into the show notes um thank you so much and yeah it's been an been an absolute pleasure time has flown i said at the start it has, I knew... it? yeah let's organize part two because i could keep talking to you all night i think we're it's so lovely to almost pick up where we left off because as mm -hmm. i say when we're playing football together at school, we're just so similar and on the same sort of wavelength, like you say. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's so lovely to catch up and it's so lovely to have someone on, like I say, on the same page. Definitely. I'm, well, I'm very, 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 very proud of everything that you've achieved. You should be too. Thank you very um, much. And I think a lot of the listeners today will be blown away by your journey and will we'll definitely have taken, taken lots away from the podcast. So thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.